In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics' The Nom, presents Heaven and Earth. Welcome to episode 98 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. We have two episodes and a wake-up left, and this time around we are going to Vietnam in the movies one last time by looking at the final film, in Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy, 1993's Heaven and Earth. I'm going to take a look at the film and review it, as well as look at the books it was based on, which are called When Heaven and Earth Changed Places and Child of War, Woman of Peace by Lei Li Hayslip. The film stands out among the number of Vietnam War films that were released in the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s in that it is one of the few, if not the only, American-made film that is told from the point of view of a Vietnamese citizen, and not just someone who was a Vietnamese citizen at the time, but whom was also serving in the Viet Cong during the 1960s. It's also one of the last films of the wave of Vietnam films that Hollywood was releasing during this era. As a quick look about Vietnam films that got major release during and after the war in the United States shows that aside from Vietnam scenes in Forrest Gump, the two biggest films about Vietnam or that showcased the war at any rate after uh, 1993 were 1995's Operation Dumbo Drop and 2002's We Were Soldiers. I think I've said this before, but between the United States victory in Desert Storm in 1991 and changing tastes in films, Vietnam as a topic fell out of favor. Maybe it's possible that people felt that the stories had been told and that there wasn't much more to tell, as indicated by the poor box office performance of this movie in 1993. It was released on December 25, 1993, and it only made $5.8 million on a $33 million budget. It was considered a box office failure for director Oliver Stone, and it was interestingly different in tone between the two movies that it was sandwiched between, which were JFK, that had come out about a year or two earlier, and uh, Natural Born Killers, which would come out the year after that. From Oliver Stone, director of Platoon and born on the 4th of July, comes the third film in an extraordinary trilogy. 
and Earth. The true story of one woman's journey to freedom. My family lived in the village of Gila, in the shadow of the mountain, in the time before the war. I remember working beside my mother in the field. Each grain of rice, a symbol of life, never wasted. When the soldiers came, I fought to keep my village and my family from being torn apart. We are the soldiers of liberation! Help us win this war, and you get to keep your property and everything else you love! In the face of fear, in the midst of betrayal, I struggle to remain strong. As I watch my world change forever, I remember my father's compassion. Right is only the goodness you carry in your heart. Love for your ancestors, for your family. Wrong is all that comes between you and the love. I met a man whose kindness made me forget the past. This is mom's eighth dog. She has the eight ugliest dogs in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me to be his wife, to take me to his home in America. But in America, I was forced to fight once again. You told me two years we agreed that one. No, 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 no. To make a home for my children and help my husband find his peace. <laughs> Through it all, I have found strength in my father's wisdom to let go of the past and forgive, to hold on to love at all costs and to never surrender my freedom. This is the war I have fought. This is the victory I have won. John Chandler, Tommy Lee Jones, Academy Award winner Hang Noor, and introducing Hepti Lee as Lei Hayslip. Peace is not the end of war. Between a man and a woman. Between heaven and earth. So as mentioned at the top of the show, the film is taken from two autobiographies written by Lei Lee Hayslip. She's a Vietnamese-American woman who was raised in the Vietnam countryside and then emigrated to the United States in the 1960s. And today, she is a humanitarian activist. Now, more on her and her life later, as I'm going to talk about both of her memoirs after I talk about the film. In the film, she's played by... He Hiep or Hiep T. Lei, who was a completely unknown actress and whom herself was a Vietnamese refugee, having defected from Vietnam to Hong Kong in the 1980s before eventually emigrating to the United States and living in Oakland. She was one of 16,000 Vietnamese Americans who auditioned for a role in this film. She acted with a few roles in some obscure features throughout the 1990s, but then retired from acting to open a restaurant in 2002. She had her long career as a restaurant tour and even appeared on a 2014 episode of the Food Network series Chopped, although she was eliminated after the entree round. Sadly, uh, the actress who played Lele uh, Hiptile passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 46 in 2017. 
The rest of the cast does have some notable actors. Joan Chen, who is a well-known Chinese actress who at the time had a major role in the 1987 film The Last Emperor, plays Lely's mother. Uh, Hang S. Nguyen had won the 1984 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in The Killing Fields. He plays uh, her father. Tommy Lee Jones plays Steve Butler, her American love interest, and uh, he's more or less an amalgamation of her two real-life husbands who were named Ed Monroe and Dennis Hayslip. Also appearing in the film are 21 Jump Street's Dustin Nguyen as her brother, Sal, and Debbie Reynolds as Steve's mother. Lely Hayslip was born in 1949. The film opens in the 1950s prior to the end of the war with the French, which would end famously in 1954 at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu. Lely is a young peasant girl living in a very humble village near Da Nang, and while life in the village tends to be peaceful, they soon find that they are unable to avoid the wars, insurgents come to recruit young men to join the fight against the French, and then the Viet Cong arrive to lecture the villagers and get them to join their cause to help the North achieve unification. Her brothers join the cause, with her older brother eventually heading north to fight with the NVA, and her younger brother going off to join the VC. Lely herself sides with the VC. She works for them while keeping up the auspices along with the rest of the village of allegiance to the south, especially when the Arvin forces roll into town. The Americans arrive also, and eventually she's working. Uh, her work for the VC is discovered, and she is captured, tortured, and raped. This destroys her relationship with the village, and as a result, she moves to Saigon, where her, she and her mother get jobs working in the house of a wealthy industrialist. The mother is a maid and Lely as a nanny for the young children. She has an affair with the master of the house and becomes pregnant, which causes her and her mother both to be fired. She remains in Saigon and lives with her older sister, who is working as a barmaid, and then she gets romantically involved with American GIs while her mother returns to the rural province. Lely finds work where she can, which is mostly selling black market goods, although she does cross the line into exchanging sexual acts for money at least once. Her baby is born and she eventually meets Steve Butler, whom she is scared of at first but eventually falls for him, and they get married, heading back to the United States, leaving behind Vietnam and her parents, with whom she is not reconciled. Her father is dead and her mother's outlook has become very dark and is at best reluctant to acknowledge her daughter. America is a whirlwind of sensory overload at first, but eventually it becomes clear that life in the States is going to be tough in ways both similar and different from Vietnam. After getting over her initial culture shock, Lely begins to see that despite the insistence that, she ha that he has a big job waiting for him at home, Steve is more or less broke. He does get a job, but it is one selling arms to various countries in Southeast Asia, something that angers Lely, who does find a job of her own working at a circuit board factory, and she starts saving up money to open her own v Vietnamese deli and restaurant. Their marriage begins to implode. Steve becomes abusive, going as far as to threaten to kill her with one of the many of guns that he keeps in the house. At one point, he breaks down and confesses that the atrocities he was part of when he was serving in Vietnam, and he turns the gun on himself, although she stops him from committing suicide. However, whereas this might mean that the relationship in Steve's psyche might be turning a corner, it actually gets worse, and he becomes more bitter and even more sinister. Lely decides that for the sake of her now three children, she has to leave him, and Steve responds by taking two of the kids. It eventually ends with Steve's suicide. We close 13 years later as Lely and her sons visit Vietnam, where they meet the father of her first son, who was the wealthy industrious leader she had fallen in love with, but is now poor. 
and they reunite with her mother and her family. I have to say that my opinion on this film is that it's solid, but it's not an exceptional film because there's much of it that is very well shot and well acted, but it ultimately kind of falls short of being a great movie. Apparently, Oliver Stone really loves this film, and I admit that I can see how and why, because it's probably one of his most intimate films, and it's definitely one of the first of his films that's female-forward. In fact, it might want to be one of the only, if not the only, film that has a woman as its main protagonist. Tommy Lee Jones gets top billing and was featured prominently in the marketing materials because of his Oscar for win for The Fugitive, which came just prior to this. But it's Hip T. Lay who carries the film from beginning to end as Lay Lee. Stone has her narrate the movie via occasional voiceovers, and that does not always work, especially in the beginning where some of her narration comes off sounding a little too much like some sort of stereotypical mystical Asian character, even though Buddhist concepts of spirituality are prevalent throughout both of Hayslip's memoirs and are even a source of conflict with her husband's. For what it's worth, though, Lake carries the film well, especially during its second half when she has to go to America. When the film shifts from life in the village prior to the war to the coming of the VC, Stone does a very good job at giving us enough of a look at what was there before it all was more or less destroyed by the prolonged war, first by the French and then involving the Americans. It's Stone's job not to just tell Lely's story, in this segment, but also to educate his American audience in a way, because most people seeing the film probably only had ever viewed the VC as the Vietnamese people who wore black uniforms that resembled pajamas, hid in caves and tunnels, and targeted American GIs through various guerrilla tactics. The scenes here involving the VC do not necessarily show them in a positive light, but they do give them a little more depth as we first see them lecturing the villagers and getting them on their side. Of course, this isn't too hard, as according to the narration, quote, if the VC won the peasants over, it's because they live their lives with us. And we see that as other soldiers, French, American, Arvin, are all portrayed as outsiders or intruders. But it's not like this is all happiness on their part, because while Stone has to bring the politics into it, he mainly focuses on the family dynamic, and we see them fight over the sons wanting to fight in the war. Then we have Lely's troubles, which start when she is tortured in rape, a rape scene that is depicted in a way that is so quick that it seems... Well, I don't want to make it sound like I completely know what I'm talking about here, because I thankfully don't know from this situation, but Stone so lays off the surreal touches he's known for, and has it just happened to her that it seems very real, and is therefore has more of an impact than any deliberate depiction of her rape would have been, say, in a movie like um, Born of the Fourth of July or Natural Born Killers or, or any of these kind of weird pieces that he's done here and there. And it's not just rape, but sex in general is a very important aspect of this film. Moreover, the power that one has when it comes to sex. The men in Lely's life seem to assert their power through their romantic relationships, especially the act of sex, which is something we see several times over. We see the soldiers raping her in the village, which not only makes her feel powerless in that moment, but also winds up getting her shunned from the village itself. Then we have the seduction of a young woman by the master of the house where she is serving as a nanny, and eventually the way she is used and abused by various Americans, including her husband. 
However, Heptile does a very good job at getting across the complex emotions that Stone is going for in a number of these character interactions and scenes. Yes, she is a terrified victim when she is raped in her village, but as she gets older, she has moments where she truly embodies the agency that Lei feels when she is older, especially as a married woman in America. I know it's odd to say that she has good chemistry with a man who is supposed to essentially be playing an antagonistic, abusive husband, but she and Tommy Lee Jones play off against one another very, very well. The scenes where they are in love and are charming and even sweet at times, but the scenes where he is pointing a gun at her and threatening to kill himself are very, very tense, and she acts it very, very well, which, you know, so she's the second half of that scene, and she does a very, very good job at being the second half of that scene and and, and playing um, his victim or, or being terrified of him very, very well. You know, Tommy Lee Jones is an actor who I always thought was solid in whatever role he has given. I'll tell you that the first time I ever saw him in a film, it was actually the Steven Seagal movie Under Siege. Although, I really do love him in The Fugitive. My favorite movie of his and my favorite performance of his, by the way, does happen to be the Coen Brothers movie uh, No Country for Old Men. Anyway, here he's very good. He does an excellent job of playing Steve. He gives us a charming gentleman of a soldier at first who seems to be romantic. He sweeps her off her feet, but then there's this rage that simmers beneath him, and much of it is brought out by, obviously, PTSD from the war. And Jones uses the natural charm that he has that he brings to every role to make Steve's other side as scary for us as it is for his wife. So it's a really, really good performance in that regard. And like I've said already... Stone really pumps the brake on the Oliver Stoneisms in this film, and it serves the film well. There's still a fair amount of melodrama. There's the shots that Hollywood loves. Steve's attempted suicide is staged very melodramatically. His death is portrayed as a suicide when he goes missing and is eventually found naked and behind the wheel of his van holding a shotgun. I mentioned that Steve is an amalgam of two men and this situation is exaggerated for story purposes as her husband actually died by carbon monoxide poisoning and not a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Do we need that change or embellishment for the sake of the film? I'm not sure. I'm also not sure that the voiceover was the best idea for a narration, because I thought that the film did a very good job at telling its own story. But voiceovers were definitely a convention of the time, so I kept that in mind as I heard it, and the way the film is shot makes up for its flaws in this regard. Stone takes advantage of his budget and his location shooting. Much of the Vietnam portion was shot in Thailand, and he gives us a lot of scenery that when he needs to. But then... When she goes to California and life with Steve starts to deteriorate, Stone makes the film feel claustrophobic. There are places where Stone seems to be teaching a class on how to tell someone else's story, as he stays faithful to the tone that Hayslip puts into her books. It's not a perfect movie. I'd venture to say that it is underrated, and surprisingly a decent effort from Stone, especially considering the movies it's up against in his body of work at this time. I had to rent it via Netflix DVD. I don't know. Um, I think it might be available for streaming if you want to rent it uh, for $2.99 to $3.99 on Amazon. But it's not available for free streaming anywhere at the moment. So if you're interested in it, you might have to you know, pay for it in some way. But uh, it's worth at least checking out. And I realized that, you know, as I closed out this movie portion, that there were other films that I've skipped over. Brian De Palma's Casualty of War, the film Hamburger Hill, Flight of the Intruder, 
well, and later on, we were soldiers. I guess you could put Operation Dumbo Drop. I did talk a little bit about Forrest Gump and back in 2014 over at Pop Culture Affidavits, so that's kind of been covered. Um, I had made a decision earlier on when doing this podcast that I wasn't going to be able to cover every single film about Vietnam. I mean, you can always go, you can go all the way back to the Green Berets, The Quiet American, like other films like that. Uh, so I just kind of picked and cho- chose what I was interested in doing. And um, yes, I covered the big ones. You know, we got Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter, Coming Home, Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon, etc., Full Metal Jacket. Um, I obviously had to cover In Country. It's the name of this podcast. So like I said, I, but eventually I decided, okay, I'm going to cover this. I'm not going to cover this, and uh, and we'll leave it at that. So it was more of a personal preference. There is a Wikipedia page for films about the Vietnam War, and it's an extensive list. Many of these films are available through various streaming or DVD rental services. So I would recommend kind of taking your own journey through some of these films. Now, I'm not done. I'm going to come back in a moment to talk about the source material for this movie, which were two memoirs by Laylee Hayslip. The first, When Heaven and Earth Changed Places, and the second, Child of War, Woman of Peace. And I'll come back to those right after this. Stick around. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back Back to Superman. Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Now, as I mentioned, Heaven and Earth has its source material in two memoirs written by Laylee Hayslip, 1989's When Heaven and Earth Changed Places and 1992's Child of War, Woman of Peace. In fact, Hayslip herself has a cameo in the film as a jewelry dealer, and toward the end of her second book, she mentions that Stone and the producers had contacted her about, about adapting the book into a film. As for the books, they were each adapted into the two halves of the movie. When Heaven and Earth Changed Places is all about her upbringing in Vietnam, and it ends with her leaving for the United States. It goes more in-depth than the film does with her upbringing and time in Vietnam, but is pretty much adapted one for one in the movie. However, whereas we get a trip to Vietnam and a reunion that takes place in the film's final ten minutes or so, that trip actually makes up the other half of the first book. 
running parallel to her childhood and her young adult years in her village and then Saigon is the story of Hayslip's return trip to Vietnam in the mid-1980s, which actually answers one of the nagging questions that I had about the end of the film, which was, I thought that in the 1980s it was virtually impossible for Americans to travel to Vietnam. How did she manage that? I mean, I realized that Oliver Stone didn't want to get into the bureaucratic logistics that Hayslip encountered trying to get into Vietnam back in the mid-80s because it honestly does not make for an engaging film. But in her book, I found it fascinating, as I was also fascinated by how her family reacted to her visit with worry that the government was going to come down on them for associating with her. It's a motif that carries over into the second book, which goes further into her life and way more in depth. As I mentioned, Steve Butler, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones, is a combination of two of her husbands, Ed Monroe, who was the soldier she met in Saigon and who whisked her into the United States, and Dennis Hayslip, with whom she met when living in San Diego and married in 1974. Both marriages were fraught with conflict and what she sees as broken promises and unrealized potential. The marriage to Ed ends upon his death from emphysema. The marriage to Dennis Hayslip is much more volatile, and what we see in the film with Steve's drinking and abusive behavior is pretty much what we see in her marriage to Dennis. That ended in divorce, and he was found dead in a van soon after. But like I said, whereas in the film it's a self-inflicted gunshot wound, in real life it was carbon monoxide poisoning that may have been accidental or may have been suicide. It's kind of left slightly ambiguous. Themes of love and family run through the book as well. Hayslip turns to the spirit of her father for guidance and often writes about the struggles of raising her sons in America without losing their ties to her home country. Plus, on repeated trips to South Vietnam, she continues to reconcile with her mother and family. There's also other love stories, including a soldier named Dan with whom she has an affair, but never marries because it seems like he also cannot come through on various promises. The New York Times review of Child of War, Women of Peace mentions that since the memoir is done in a straightforward chronological structure and not the past and present parallel structure of When Heaven and Earth Change Places, it loses some of its suspense and is therefore less engaging. I'm inclined to agree on that comment about suspense, but I did find myself pretty engaged, especially when it came to the stories about her love life. Hayslip does become the proprietor of a restaurant for a number of years, and she's successful in other ventures, such as real estate. But one of the more fascinating parts of her life comes late in the book, when she decides that she wants to give back to Vietnam, and she starts the East Meets West Foundation. The idea behind it is that it would provide health care and other resources to poor areas of countries such as Vietnam, and on one of her trips detailed in the book, she works to help establish and build a hospital. The red tape she encounters, including being investigated by the United States government, is also well detailed and even proves fascinating. In fact, Hayslip, through her charity, became one of player in the effort to improve relations between the United States and Vietnam and work toward reconciliation. In 1995, the California State Assembly honored her for her humanitarian and reconciliation activities, and East Meets West is still active today, but it is called ThriveWorks, which is dedicated, according to their website, to improving the health and well-being of underserved communities in Southeast Asia by working in concert with public and private sectors to develop evidence-based programs in the areas of water, sanitation and hygiene, and education. 
The idea is to provide people in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam with these basic needs and help them take steps to getting out of poverty. They also work on the policy side in this regard. I'll post a link in the show notes in case you are curious about the organization. Heaven and Earth, was, as I mentioned, was uh, released on DVD, and you can stream it via Amazon for a uh, $2.99 rental. Both books are available on Amazon as well. I managed to check when Heaven and Earth changed places out of my public library, and I got a very cheap used copy of the other book, Child of War, Women of Peace, off of Amazon. I think I maybe paid $1.99 and qualified for prime shippings. I know it's not a quarter, Alan, but hopefully you'll you'll at least give me some credit here for trying to go for the cheapest option when it wasn't available at the public library. But that will do it for episode 98. We are down to two episodes, which is one more episode plus a wake-up. So we are so short that we can taste it. Next time will be another special that focuses on the country of Vietnam in a way that we haven't done much of, which is in the current day. I know I've talked about a couple of things here and there over the course of this series when I've done some context about things that we see in the current day in Vietnam. But what I'm going to do next episode is cover the last bit of historical context that's going to take us in the history of Vietnam and United States relations with Vietnam from 1975 until now. And I'm going to talk about Season 8, Episode 1 of Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. In this episode, he visits Hanoi. I'll also take a look at the United States and its ways of honoring those who have served by looking at the history of the most enduring symbol of the war, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which is located on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., as well as local memorials, one on Long Island where I grew up on Bald Hill, and the one local to where I live now in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is called the, the Dogwood Vietnam Memorial. That is all going to happen in the penultimate episode of In Country. So until then, follow me at Popaff. That's P-O-P-A-F-F. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. reached the end of another episode of In Country. All stories and characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and all other media referenced are copyright their respective copyright holders, and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. Show notes and extras can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanzacore of Milan, Italy. Please support this podcast and all the other Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com anytime you shop. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for the latest chapter in the saga of The Nam.